When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, and welcome to Digital Nomads, a podcast about nomadism and nomadic peoples around the world and throughout history. I'm your host, Maggie, and this episode is about nomads in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament. I recommend, if you haven't already, listening to the two previous episodes about the ancient Arabs, which discuss what we know about nomadism in the ancient Middle East from non-biblical sources, as well as some of the larger historical context of the time period that I'll be talking about in this episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. According to traditions in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the father of the Arab people was Ishmael, the first son of the prophet Abraham with his Egyptian slave Hagar. The book of Genesis describes how Abraham and his wife Sarah, who were unable to conceive a child together, decided that Abraham should also take Hagar as his wife, and together Abraham and Hagar have Ishmael. When Hagar is pregnant with Ishmael, she and Sarah start to fight with each other, and Hagar runs away to the desert, where an angel speaks to her, saying, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all of his kin. So God tells Hagar that her son Ishmael will give rise to a great nation, but also that Ishmael's descendants will be in conflict with the other descendants of Abraham living alongside them. Abraham's wife Sarah eventually gives birth at the age of 90 to Isaac. And when Ishmael is 14, Sarah asks Abraham to expel Ishmael and Hagar, which Abraham at first is reluctant to do, but eventually does, when God makes a promise to Abraham. God says that he will establish his covenant with Isaac, but of Ishmael, God says that he will bless him and make him fruitful and exceedingly numerous. He shall be the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. 
So Ishmael and Hagar leave Abraham's family. After wandering in the wilderness for some time, they settle in the desert of Paran, which is a somewhat ambiguous location. But in the Islamic tradition, it's conflated with the region of the Hejaz in western Saudi Arabia, where the cities of both Mecca and Medina are located. And according to tradition, both Ishmael and Hagar are buried next to the Kaaba in Mecca. Ishmael eventually has 12 sons who are named in the book of Genesis as Nebaioth, Kidar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Doma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedema. And the book of Genesis goes on to say that these are the sons of Ishmael and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. They dwelt from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. Now, Adbil, Masa, Nebaioth, and Kedar were all nomadic tribes who are attested in other sources, and they're mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, as I'll discuss, but they're also mentioned in extra-biblical written sources, primarily in Assyrian documents. The Kedarites were the largest and most powerful of these tribes who were allegedly descended from Ishmael. I've talked about them in previous episodes, and I'll talk more in this episode about what the Bible tells us about them. Meanwhile, two more of these sons of Ishmael, Duma and Tema, are known from later periods as both the names of peoples or tribes as well as of geographical regions. Tema is identified with the area of Tema, an oasis in modern northern Saudi Arabia, and Duma is identified with the town of Dumat al-Jandal, which is likewise also in modern northern Saudi Arabia. And both of these areas were extremely important to nomadic tribes, especially the Qadarites, as religious centers and as marketplaces. But we're not done with Abraham and his family yet. After the death of Sarah, Abraham remarries to a woman named Keturah, with whom he has another six sons. And at least one of these sons, Midian, is the namesake of a nomadic tribe, the Midianites. And in turn, one of Midian's sons, Ephah, is known as the name of another nomadic tribe. And another of Abraham's sons with Keturah, Jokshan, in turn had a son named Dedan, which has also been documented as the name of a people living a pastoralist lifestyle. Another nomadic tribe mentioned in the Bible related to Abraham were the Amalekites, who were allegedly descended from Isaac via his son Esau. The Amalekites are documented as living in the Negev Desert in modern southern Israel and Palestine, where they were frequently at war with the Israelites. And allegedly also descended from Esau were the nomadic Edomites, an ancient kingdom that dominated large parts of modern southern Jordan and the Sinai Peninsula. They appear to have ceased to exist as an independent state around the 7th century BC, although for centuries prior, they were a sophisticated state that archaeological evidence has shown practiced extensive trade as well as copper mining. The main nomadic groups that appear in the Bible, especially in the early books, such as Genesis and Exodus, are named as the Amalekites, Midianites, Ishmaelites, and Hagarites, names which reflect these people's perceived ancestral connection to the lineage of Hagar and Ishmael. These names are often used interchangeably and simultaneously to the extent that it's difficult to tell where divisions between these groups were perceived to lay. 
In the book of Judges, it is said that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. The book of Judges goes on to describe a war between the Israelites, which is led by the prophet Gideon, and the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples. The people whom the Israelites go to war against are subsequently referred to interchangeably as Midianites, Amalekites, and Ishmaelites, suggesting either that the authors of the Old Testament didn't perceive or understand there to be a difference between these peoples, or that these groups were not actually that distinct from one another in practice. A further example comes from the story in the book of Genesis, in which Joseph is sold by his brothers to a caravan of merchants traveling to Egypt. The caravan Joseph is sold to is described as a camel caravan of Ishmaelites who are carrying spices and perfumes from Gilead, which is a mountainous region in modern Jordan, to Egypt, but the same merchants are also described as Midianites later in the story. In the historical and literary parts of the Bible, there eventually occur radical changes in the names of nomadic groups, where names like Hagarites, Ishmaelites, Midianites, and Amalekites eventually cease to be used and are instead replaced by the collective noun Arabs, although the more ambiguous designation, peoples of the East, is also continuously used throughout the Bible to refer to nomadic peoples. So what does the Bible actually say about these peoples that allows us to infer their nomadic lifestyle? They're frequently named alongside references to herds and flocks of animals. The book of Isaiah says that herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, all Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. And the book of Jeremiah says that concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, attacked, this is what the Lord says, Arise and attack Kedar and destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks will be taken. Their shelters will be carried off with all their goods and camels. Their camels will become plunder, and their large herds will be spoils of war. I will scatter to the winds those who are in distant places and will bring disaster on them from every side. The book of Ezekiel says that Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your customers. They did business with you and lambs, rams, and goats. And the first book of Chronicles lists loot taken from the Hagarites in war, which is listed as 50,000 camels, 250,000 sheep, and 2,000 donkeys. And in addition to frequent references to livestock, which implies a pastoralist lifestyle, these peoples are also described as living in the desert in tents or unfortified villages. 
You waited by the roadside for lovers like an Arab in the desert, says the prophet Jeremiah, who also describes the Arabs as a people who have no gates and no bars, who live in a remote place. Isaiah prophesies that Babylon will be overthrown by God. Never again will the Arab pitch his tent there or the shepherds make their folds, and later also refers to the encampments of the Kedarites. A verse from a song in the book of Psalms says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar, and later also mentions the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagarites. While the fifth verse of the Song of Songs says, Dark am I, yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. There are also non-Arab tribes described as following a pastoralist lifestyle. For example, the tribe of Simeon, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, is described in the Book of Chronicles as migrating to Gedor in Judah, which was possibly near modern-day Hebron in Palestine, and that they migrated there in order to find sufficient pasture lands for their sheep. They displaced a nomadic group, the Mayanites, who were already living there. And Chronicles says that the Simeonites destroyed the Mayanites' tents and exterminated them. These Mayanites are later referred to as Amalekites, which is another example of the interchangeability of the terminology for nomadic groups. And it's said that the Simeonites pursued these Amalekites to the area of Seir in modern southwestern Jordan, where they killed the remaining Amalekites and took over the land of Seir in their place. Depending on your level of familiarity with the Old Testament, you might be thinking that there are a lot more references than just those few to things like living in tents and herding animals, and you would be 100% correct. The early Israelites themselves are described as living nomadically, especially in the books of Genesis and Exodus. Biblical figures like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are described as migrating seasonally between summer and winter pastures, herding sheep, camels, and goats, and living in tents. Based on the chronology laid out in the Old Testament, if the patriarchs like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were real historical figures, they would have lived sometime in the early 2nd millennium BC. The question of whether the biblical patriarchs were real historical figures is a subject of significant debate, and then the question of whether they were or could have been pastoral nomads is a significant sub-debate within that larger topic. And I'm not going to weigh in on the actual historicity of the people themselves, which is very much outside of my purview, and just focus on the nomadic qualities of the lives of the patriarchs and early Israelites as depicted in the Old Testament in relation to both biblical depictions of other nomadic groups and extra-biblical sources. So it's perfectly possible, and even likely, that the early Israelites of the second millennium BC would have practiced nomadism to some degree. Some of our earliest evidence of nomadism as a lifestyle comes from the Levant, dating back to, at the earliest, the 9th millennium BC. And archaeological evidence shows pastoral nomadism evolving and becoming more widespread over the millennia, largely in response to environmental factors. At the same time, of course, agriculture and settled village life, which then developed into widespread urbanization, arose concurrently over the millennia. 
I've discussed in previous episodes how full-scale pastoral nomadism is dependent on the existence of agriculture, towns, markets, traders, and craftsmen, etc. So pastoral nomadism as we understand it today, and the type of pastoral nomadism that is represented in the Bible, requires interaction with settled peoples in order to be successful and sustainable. But this doesn't necessarily mean that the early Israelites couldn't have been pastoral nomads, because some of the oldest known settlements on earth were in Palestine. Jericho, for example, has existed as a settlement in some form or another since 9000 BC. But let's return to what the Old Testament says about the lifestyle of the patriarchs. So in addition to mentions of flocks of livestock, seasonal migrations, and living in tents, figures such as Abraham, Lot, Isaac, and Jacob are also described as possessing herds of oxen and cattle, which in the Near East were bred only in settled zones of occupation. And furthermore, Abraham buys a field near Hebron in which to bury his dead. His son Isaac, in turn, is described as sowing and reaping plentifully. Isaac also blesses Jacob with the promise of abundant grain, and he gives a gift of 40 cows and 10 bulls to Esau. These characteristics are fairly at odds with a fully nomadic pastoralist lifestyle, and instead skew in favor of a predominantly agricultural but perhaps diversified lifestyle with some elements of livestock herding and seasonal migration. And this would have been fairly typical of farmers and agriculturalists at the time, as indeed it still is today. Moving livestock between summer and winter grazing areas is common of, for example, cattle, sheep, or goat farmers in many parts of the world. The book of Exodus is sometimes taken as further evidence of pastoral nomadism among the early Israelites. The book describes the experiences of the descendants of Jacob and Joseph in Egypt and their eventual flight, led by Moses, from Egypt to Canaan. A few factors in Exodus can be seen as evidence of pastoral nomadism among the early Israelites. For example, the description of their 40 years of wandering in the desert, as well as Moses' affiliation with the Midianites, a nomadic group I mentioned previously. Moses kills an Egyptian man, and in order to escape punishment, he flees to the land of the Midianites, where he marries a Midianite woman named Zipporah. Zipporah was the daughter of a Midianite priest named Jethro, who is in turn described as a Kenite man who is living in the Midian lands. And the Kenites are thought to have been a tribe or tribes of traveling, itinerant metalsmiths and metalworkers. And we know, unfortunately, too little about both the Midianites and the Kenites, and it's possible that Jethro's identification as a Kenite man among the Midianites is another example of names for nomadic peoples being used interchangeably. But suffice to say, Moses is described as living among a nomadic population for some time in Midianite territory, which would have been in the Sinai or northwestern Saudi Arabia around the Gulf of Aqaba. Other than that, however, there's very little evidence for nomadism among the Israelites in the book of Exodus. There's no real evidence that the Israelites lived nomadically while in Egypt. Upon their flight from Egypt and at the crossing of the Red Sea, they have with them herds of sheep and goats, but also herds of cattle, which, as I've said, in the Near Eastern context, 
tends to preclude full-scale nomadic pastoralism. Moreover, the very point of the book of Exodus is the trials and tribulations that the Israelites face while wandering in the desert and the fact that they begin to turn away from God as a result, perhaps showing that the Israelites were really not adapted to or used to living in the desert in the way that nomads at the time would have been. And finding water, which is the crucial skill of any nomad in the Near East, was apparently particularly challenging for the Israelites. So I'm reluctant to ascribe a fully nomadic pastoralist lifestyle to the early Israelite patriarchs, just based on the biblical descriptions that we have. And of course, this is where we get into a tricky area with the term nomad and where we draw the line between nomads versus non-nomads. We could perhaps hedge our bets and conclude that the patriarchs were semi-nomads, but I tend to think that the lifestyle of the early Israelites, as depicted in the Old Testament, is far more likely one of largely settled agricultural practice, with some elements of what we today recognize as nomadic characteristics. And I would argue that we cannot, at least on the evidence available, describe the early Israelites as a pastoral nomadic society in the same way that we would describe the Bedouin today, for example. Finally, of course, we have to keep in mind that the Old Testament, before it is a historical or literary text, is a religious document, and we have to think about what the authors of the Old Testament wanted its readers and listeners to think about nomads versus non-nomads from a religious perspective. To that end, we can go back to what I said in the beginning of this episode about the origins of the Ishmaelites or the Hagarites, who are depicted in the Bible as a sort of confederation of various nomadic tribes who originated from the sons of Ishmael, who in biblical terminology then become the nomadic Arabs. After Isaac is born, God promises to Abraham that he will make his covenant with Isaac and by extension with the people of Isaac's family line, but also that Abraham's other son, Ishmael, will give rise to great nations. These are Ishmael's 12 sons and the 12 tribes that originated from them. But God also tells Abraham that Ishmael and his sons will live at odds with their kin, i.e. Isaac's family line and the Israelites. So there's a clear-cut division between Isaac and Ishmael and their respective descendants. And that division is drawn along the lines of the nomad versus sedentary binary. As I discussed previously, in the later books of the Old Testaments, the Hagarites, Ishmaelites, and the various tribes identified as descended from Ishmael, such as Kidar and Nebaioth, are unequivocally represented as nomadic pastoralists, with their wealth residing in large herds of sheep and goats and camels, and their dwellings as being tents located in remote places. Given the opposition between nomadic tribes and the Israelites that's set up in the very first book of the Old Testament, these references to nomadism paint nomadism as something that is fundamentally other to the Israelites, separating the Israelites from those tribes with their tents and their herds of camels. So clearly, we shouldn't think of the early Israelites as nomadic, or at the very least, the authors of the Old Testament didn't want us to think of them that way. 
that in later books of the Old Testament, this distinction becomes racialized as well as nomadic peoples who in earlier books are referred to by their biblical lineages, such as the Ishmaelites or the Hagarites, become collapsed into the homogenous group of the Arabs. The Arabs, for example, are named in the Book of Chronicles as bringing a gift of 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats to King Jehoshaphat, and elsewhere in Chronicles, the Arab kings are described as bringing gifts of gold and silver to King Solomon. I don't want to imply that there was no pastoral nomadism practiced among the Israelites, because there almost certainly was, but there's a difference between the individual practice of nomadism within a mixed, diversified economy and a fully nomadic society or state. And the Bible clearly positions the Israelites as a predominantly settled state that interacted with nomadic states and societies located on the borders of Canaan and Judah and beyond, and had varying levels of both positive and negative interactions with these nomadic states. From the perspectives of the nomadic peoples living around ancient Canaan, we can imagine that the Israelites were one of the states which made a pastoral nomadic existence possible by serving as allies or as trading partners with nomadic groups. Ultimately, we don't really know the true origins of any of these peoples discussed in the Bible, such as the Kedarites or the Nebaioth, who are better known in later years as the Nabataeans. The traditional religious interpretation of all of these tribes as stemming from a single patriarchal source is, almost beyond a shadow of a doubt, pure myth. But although the Old Testament is fraught with bias, as any religious text is, reading its depictions of nomadic and non-nomadic peoples living in overlapping spheres with one another can shed light on both nomadic lifestyles in the ancient Near East as well as how nomadic peoples were perceived by others and how they functioned within larger political and religious and economic systems. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll put sources and some maps and links and things like that related to the content of this episode up on my Twitter at nomads underscore pod. So please check that out if you're interested. You can also contact me there or by email at digitalnomadspod at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or feedback. Thanks again for listening.